Welcome to the next episode uh, of Crumpy Old Coders, the podcast. And uh, today's episode is called Quick Reactions, or learn the different types of reactiveness in the web to simply code and boost performance. Uh, yeah, and uh, how the subtitle is already telling you, uh, it's about reactive programming. So Thomas and me, uh, we both have our experiences uh, in this field. And uh, yeah, actually, it's interesting to see how different our experiences are, uh, yeah. to be honest. Uh, because Thomas uh, did it more for the for the web uh, web applications and uh, so uh, mainly front end, let's say, right? Whereby my experience is more based on, let's say, the middle tier, where our yeah, clients need to access the database and or need to process the data in a in a reactive way, right? Or they don't need, but it's uh, one of the patterns you, you can leverage there. Um, yeah, let's get started. One thing I, I wanted to clarify before we start is a little bit about our asynchronous operation execution versus synchronous operation execution. Um, yeah, so why does it actually make sense to have the other uh, versus, uh, versus the other? Uh, so meaning, Synchronous execution of operations is quite simple. You execute an operation and you wait until the result arrives. And then you're, you can immediately uh, deal with the result, let's say. Whereby asynchronous operation execution means that you execute an operation and then uh, you go ahead, right? You, you don't wait until the result comes, but uh, you will handle the result as soon as it arrives in the, in the future, some, somehow in the future, right? There are different approaches how to do it. And uh, one approach of uh, doing, let's say, asynchronous operation execution or handling is uh, reactive programming. And uh, that's... The point today um it's actually quite interesting so from my point of view but we will dig deeper or uh, now right uh, to see that developers so i met a bunch of developers in the past and uh, we encouraged them to use asynchronous operation execution specifically reactive programming for something like dealing with data uh, out of the database are uh, for performance reasons because or uh, if you do it asynchronously you don't block on the client side right all the time so you don't multiply network latency uh let's say on the on the client side because otherwise you would kind of execute a command would wait or until you get the result and if you access a database system the database system is usually accessed via the network and then you would execute the next operation based on the result and then the next one and so you have n times the network latency whereby uh, approaches like pipelining, we are not talking about this, or uh, kind of uh, even if you execute individual commands uh, asynchronously, right, uh, is helping you to get rid of this multiplication of uh, blocking behavior inside of the client, right? So uh, anyway, right, I saw quite often that developers struggled with this, uh, so because they they thought, okay, it's hard to debug, hard to test, whatever. I'm just going with synchronous operation execution. Um, but uh, today we will actually explore this a little bit uh, more, which brings me to my first question to uh, Thomas. Uh, so why would someone use reactive programming? I mean, besides of the stuff which I just uh, slightly mentioned right now. Thomas. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff and you've already said a lot of interesting things. One of the interesting things is the uh, single thread multi-threadedness you know that the non-blocking things because in on the client side your javascript is single threaded right so so you can't just wait for an api to return but anyway why would someone use we we, get, we come on to that why would you use someone when, it, when it's programming? event looped right Sorry? Uh, isn't it event looped in the browser as well your javascript or uh, so meaning you can defer events uh, to the future. Yes. I mean, this is the tr trick, yes. right? The trick is that you basically, you're able to do asynchronous execution yes. yeah, operation yeah, yeah. because you have an event loop which allows you to defer the execution. There, but anyway, I... Yeah, yeah, uh, there, there is an event loop, but you, you have to do something to defer that operation, right? So, you know... Yeah, if, if, exactly. So exa let's anyway, jump into yeah. it. So I, I leave it to, I leave it oh, to you. So. Going on a tangent um, already. Okay. So <laughs> so why would someone use reactive programming? So, right. Okay. So let's start from the basics. Um, reactive programming is really meant for processing streams. A stream would be um, just events, any events, any sorts of events that happen over time, that happen at particular time. 
that's what a stream is. And reactive programming, rather than sort of uh, having commands and iterations, it just says, whenever an event of this type occurs, do this thing, right? So in many ways, it is it is like functional programming, but it also it creates very readable code because you can immediately see the business rules, right? So if this happens, do that. You know, you're not saying wait for this or uh, while true. You know, there's no looping going on. You just say when this happens, do that. That's the basic idea, right? And when you want to understand how powerful this is you need to think about what a stream of events over time really is. And if you think about it, you come to a point where you say everything, everything is a stream of events, right? You have an application, the user interacts with the application, that's an event that happens at a particular time. And you can put in a rule, you know, when the user clicks that button, that sort of thing should happen, right? And the same thing with application state, right? Your application is in a particular state. A pop-up might be open, you know, something might be shown, something might be hidden. Data might be shown, might be displayed, right? So that is a state of the application and that can change. So there might be events that change the state of the application, right? So, so for, for that, you can use reactive programming as well. And of course, another very important part is interaction with with servers, with APIs, with the backend, right? So that is events. You you ask the API a question, and then at some point, the API answers, right? And that is also an event. The question is an event, the answer is an event, right? So it becomes, uh, and if, if you do it, if you do your entire application with this reactive programming approach, Right. So, for instance, that if all your application state and I'm I'm going ahead a little bit here, if all your application state is in one place and every transition from that state to the next state, which is triggered by an event of some sort. Right. If you have all of that in one place, you can record the state and you record each transition. Right. And what that then enables you, that's very good for debugging, is what you can do is you can replay that recording of your state and your state transitions. And you can put your application into any state. You can roll your application to any point in time. Right? But we'll get onto that with the with the debugging phase. So so yeah, so that's that's basically the idea. Okay, make makes sense. I, I mean I would or or you mentioned functional programming and so on. I I'm a big fan of patterns, right? <laughs> uh, so just conceptually in the first step. And uh, one thing which I wanted to to just explore a little bit is uh, that one pattern which is uh, playing a role uh, for reactive programming, and I think you will talk about it uh, later as well, right? Is the uh, our observer pattern or yes. observable pattern, right? Where it is just about having having something like a subject or and or having an observer, right? And or regarding the pattern, the pattern actually doesn't talk about how you implement this stuff, right? If you, uh, yeah, how it is actually implemented, if it is polling based or whatever. But uh, the pattern is just about the subject is observed by someone, let's say, right? And this someone, the observer, reacts as soon as the subject yes. is doing something, right? Exactly. So as soon as an event happens or the observer does something right and uh, I think we will talk about reactive extensions or there it is more about or uh, the fact that then uh, the subject is not a single thing it's uh, more a stream or of events let's say right uh, so um, I think it doesn't need to be strictly typed let's say right so you can have uh, or maybe you can say okay fine there there is a kind of time but or or let's say whatever you put into it um you you can re react to what what arises right uh there so meaning the observable pattern and then there i mean there's functional programming and it's or uh, they are playing very well together right because uh, yes um, if you look at the reactive extensions you will see that uh the way how you react is by chaining functions, right? Um, so you're basically mm -hmm. passing functions over that are transforming the uh, 
are, let's say, are the data which arises as part of this behavior change, right? And are then finally, as soon as the transformation happens, or uh, you you subscribe then or at the end, right? Uh, so, but I, I, maybe this was already Rx Java, not the pattern at all. But uh, yeah, just as a, as a side note, yeah. <laughs> uh, it just jumped into my mind. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe we're doing one step or before the next step or or the second yeah. step before the first step, let's say, or maybe let's come back to to some more basic stuff or how would someone get started with reactive right. programming? I mean, from your point of view, maybe right. let's talk about the the uh, uh, client side, Ansible and whatever, right? Or yeah, exactly. Bit... Yeah, so this is, this is the, the client side. So, you know, the, the whole JavaScript side of things and yeah, how to get started. I mean, there are some basic concepts. So the the observable pattern is featured a lot and you already mentioned ext reactive extensions for Java and the thing I used as reactive extensions for JavaScript. So I imagine the usage, the, the documentation, the methods are pretty much the same. I've not used Rx for Java, but the, the way you described it, observable, and then you subscribe to it, it's exactly how RxJS works as well. Um, right, and that is the distinction between an observable and a promise. So what you have in the JavaScript world is a thing called promise. So promise is nothing that's not not a third-party package. That's something that is built in. That's part of the ECMAScript standard. So a promise is, well, let's imagine you call an API, right? So you call a backend API, and that starts off this promise, right? So when you call your API function, um, get me this, then this function will return a promise. And this promise is a wrapper around the state of this API call, right? So this promise at some point, so at the minute, it, it is it is what it is. It is just a promise. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, at some I like point, the name, by the way, right? Uh, we are promising that there will exactly. be some, yeah, yeah. some result somewhere in the future. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, like in natural language, exactly. A promise is yeah. a promise, right? And then at some point in the future, something changes either that promise uh, fails you know it goes into error state or that promise succeeds and in the case of an api call success means you get the data that you were asking for right so that is fine nothing wrong with a promise but an observable is is sort of the next the next iteration the next step so what does an observable do that a promise cannot do so the first thing I always mentioned when I speak about this, it, it seems a bit weird and useless, but observables can be cancelled. Promises cannot be cancelled, right? So so why why is that important? Why would you even care? And if you go back to the example of talking to the backend API, um, maybe you have a long-running API call, you have your promise, and in the meantime, uh, the user navigates away. So if we've used a promise that API call is still going to run. It's still going to return. The data is going to come down and your JavaScript is going to handle the data. But you've already navigated away, so you're no longer interested. If you use an observable instead of a promise to make the API call, that observable can be cancelled. If the user navigates away, we are saying we are no longer interested in that data and then no, you know, no processing is done right, when the data comes down. So there is that. That is the first thing. Um, a promise is a one-time thing, right? So for the promise, you ask a question and you get an answer or, or an error, right? And then that promise is done. Observables can be streams. You can say, um, subscribe to this. And then whenever data comes, you get the data until you either unsubscribe or that observable stream closes, right? So observables can be multiple events over time. Okay, the next thing, um, observables are lazy. So when you run a promise, that promise immediately runs, right? You ask the question to the API, then the API request is immediately fired. That's how a promise works. Uh, with an observable, you can construct your observable and until you subscribe, nothing happens. 
right? You can say. Yeah, I think are. I think they are. I'm not sure. There are different I, types. Yeah, but I tend to remember that they are hot and cold. Observed yeah, yeah, ex exactly. So like there are different types. Well, typically the subscription makes it from a cold to a hot. Right. But, yeah. you know, there are different types. Right. So the first thing you do is you say, OK, I want to call the API and when I get the result, I want to do this with the result. And maybe if the result is this, then I want to call this other API. Right. So so you chain together what you want to do and nothing has happened yet. Only at the end when you have this this construct. Right. And you say subscribe, then it actually happens. Right. So what you can do is you can construct your observable in, in a library or in some other part of the code that just returns that observable ready to be fired. Right. So that's quite useful for code separation and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, the next I, I personally like remembering it, right? I personally also like the fact that there are two different types of errors, right? So errors that are, that can happen during the processing, let's say are and errors are so basically side effects errors and action or errors which you which you need to catch right and uh, uh yeah a anyway um so which yeah. is also a side effect of having cold and or, or yeah, having yeah. this transition from cold to hot right yeah, ex exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there might be an error that the api returns you an error code and it's different to an error where your application throws an exception right and you can handle those differently yeah and it's a very good point and yeah, so yeah, going back to that, the final difference that is worth noting, there are more differences, but the final one is that observables can be synchronous, right? So you you can use it for, you know, I keep coming back to the scenario of talking to an API, but you can use it for, for other stuff, right? For just, just data handling within your code. And, you know, there might be instances where you just deal with an observable, but you don't actually know how that observable is constructed, right? For instance, imagine, I, imagine caching, I, right? Whereby imagine, I have to say that uh, the synchronous versus asynchronous, I mean, right, they can be synchronous, right? But they can, yeah. uh, as far as I remember, or correct me if I'm wrong, it's more the case that uh, by nature, they are more asynchronously are operating, but uh, if you want to have a synchronous one, it's, it's a wrapper around the asynchronous. Uh, execution mm. so basically you put the the blocking behavior on top of it right uh, which means Cut. there there is some there is some overhead involved or uh, by by doing that because you now have workers that are behaving i mean again well, it was a while ago uh, that are behaving uh, a little bit differently are uh, in in order to implement this uh, blocking behavior so if you want to have it blocking anyway right then maybe the best is to just or uh, or yeah, use yeah, <laughs> use the blocking stuff from from the very beginning. But or yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang, hang on, we're probably talking about sort of different different levels here. So the scenario, and maybe you can tell me what you think about the scenario, is if you have a service that is responsible for talking to the API, right? And that service will return your observable, and then the consumer will need to subscribe to that observable to get the value from the API. Right? So you're with me so far. But if that service is caching, right, and it has that data, it can return an observable that already has the answer in it. And that observable will be executed synchronously. So if you subscribe to that observable, that subscription method will immediately be called without even going to the event loop, right? And the handling code will immediately be run. That's ah, what okay, I mean. But okay. observables can be synchronous. Uh, oh, okay, fine. I I misunderstood this because um, what I thought it, you know there there is uh, a way to synchronize observables. Or let's say, uh, meaning the the core is more asynchronously operating with some worker threads and at least in Rx Java, right? And yeah. uh, but you can you can final finally kind of uh, retrieve the the result in a synchronous way, mm -hmm. but you have all the overhead of, of all the other stuff in inside anyway, right? You you're just synchronizing it uh, when you when you consume it then, uh, and I thought you you mean that, right? Yeah, I thought you no, were, yeah, no, uh, refer, are... you're referring to this. Okay, fine. Yeah. There are different types of observables, and you can sort of return this. What I would almost call a degenerated observable that is just that just gives you that value that you want if you have yeah. it cached. So 
you know. Yeah. But but as an I, outside I consumer, I remember, you would never know the difference. There was, I remember now there was even something around uh, caching or... Uh, the, I mean, there are so, several kind of methods, right? So something like map, flat map, <laughs> whatever, repeat and so on, right? And yeah. uh, some Shall of them... Shall we Exactly, yeah. you can stuff rep- can replay stuff and so on, right? So, yeah. so some some of them are, uh, if you want to rely on a, on a kind of cached state, uh, let's say. That's right. Yeah, that's um, right. So yeah, one operator is shell replay, and that will do that. That will just replay the last event that it has seen, and then you immediately get your answer. Yeah, makes sense. Are uh, cool. I mean, should we go to the next question or would you like to or explain uh, more about how to get started? Or no, I, I think I'm good with the getting started. I'm just, okay. yeah. So what is the next step then? I mean, okay. uh, so observers are great, or, but uh, <laughs> what's then, right? They're great and all. Um, I've already given a few examples. So the next step is to, to get your head around when to use it. Right. So one of the examples I've already given is talk to the API. The API gives you an answer and then that that observable closes. You have your answer. That's another thing observables can do. So you can communicate that a stream has ended. Right. So an observable stream can close and then you know it's over. And it's also good because that closes your subscription. Right. Because if you subscribe to a stream, you will never be unsubscribed unless you actively unsubscribe. And that is that is a thing that can be easily forgotten. And that's one of the major causes for memory leaks in JavaScript if you use that reactive programming, right? If the stream closes, you're automatically unsubscribed. But if the stream doesn't close, you have to physically do an, a call to unsubscribe, right? You have to physically unsubscribe. Right, tangent. Anyway, examples for using it. So this is a simple example, <clears throat> excuse me. A medium example would be this thing where I've alluded at application state, right? What you can do and what is very beneficial to do is to have all your application state in one place, in what it's typically called a store, sort of a stateful store. And whenever somebody, whenever the user interacts, that mutates the state of your application and then all the other stuff happens in reaction to that mutation of the state, right? So the mutation might trigger a change in display, right? Your your button might have, you know, closed the pop-up and then the change in display is then the closing of the pop-up or that button might trigger an API call. And also when it does, maybe it's a save button, right? So you click the save button that mutates the state into saving for the application, but the state change also triggers the API call to save the data, right? So everything goes to that central central state repository. Yeah. So this is a very typical use case for this. And then there's other stuff, right? So you can use web sockets. Imagine it's this one of a previous a workplace that I worked for. Imagine you have a WebSocket open and that WebSocket gives you coordinates, like geographic coordinates, and you have to visualize some a car, so a race car moving on the track in real time. So you, whenever you get new coordinates down from your WebSockets, you have to update your display. And reactive programming is a perfect fit for it, right? Because that, that was WebSocket mutates your application state and in reaction to the mutation your display changes right Um, you can also do other things you can say okay so that data from the web socket would come down in bursts right you would get 10 updates very quickly after each other and then two seconds break you know things like that and if you imagine a race car moving then what you would see the race car would bolt, you know, bolt a few hundred meters and then stay there for two seconds and then very quickly move on for 200 meters. So that's not very desirable. And for that sort of thing in the observable world, it's very easy to solve that problem, right? Because you have operators like buffer, 
right? Where you can say, okay, for three seconds, just just add all the events that I get to an array, and then the buffer gives that array to the next operator, right? And that next operator, that might be a delay or whatever, that next operator emits all these events in with the right delay, right? So it appears that your race car is moving continuously, right? This is the sort of thing that with, with iterative programming would become very hard. Imagine having to code all that from scratch. But with the reactive approach, with RxJS, you just compose a few operators that do all that stuff for you. And that's the power of it, right? Yeah. So yeah, does that make sense? Indeed, it does. Indeed, it does. Or I'm, I'm sounds glad. very interesting. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, yeah, um, I, I get it. And uh, our, our, it's it's completely useful. Especially your your example was very interesting. Uh, I think. Or yeah, are there you. more complex examples in your mind? Or that is probably that was probably the most challenging one. The um, yeah, where you get things from a web socket but it comes in bursts and you need to smooth out the events over a timeline so that was you know that's probably the most interesting challenging ones the other things is it all comes down to that stateful store where you have all your application state in right and then your either user interactions mutate the state or changes coming from the web web socket mutate the state and maybe then, maybe yeah. a question regarding your use case or I mean I got that you basically used web sockets and stuff like this or for that yeah. but uh, um, where was the state actually hold I mean or the state is usually when you have such a use case or I guess you don't hold the entire state just in the application because the application is kind of ephemeral right so if the application ah. instance dies then it's it's gone so uh, which brings us maybe slightly to another concept or which is not strictly under the umbrella of reactive programming as far as I uh, yeah are understood at least over the time but it's closely related right so if it comes to something like stream processing mm -hmm. uh, or message uh, delivery message processing and stuff like this right um, I mean there there are spe specialized data stores uh, let's call it this way right uh, <laughs> that, that actually hold this state buffer this state or to a specific degree and then allow the application to to consume this buffered state in order to process it right um, mm -hmm. so either either just uh, get informed that there is something or actually are uh, yeah allowing the application to to balance workloads right based on this state so what i'm referring to is for instance uh, i mean like, Kafka, Apache Kafka, mm -hmm. right, is, is one of the systems which is used for such purposes. But uh, as you know, I'm a big Redis fan fanboy, <laughs> meaning, uh, <laughs> With good meaning that uh, Redis has something similar, which is called Redis Streams, right, a little bit more lightweight uh, than Kafka, or uh, so it's built into Redis. So uh, yeah. Did you use something like that or for, for your project or or did you kind of or do everything within the application? Yeah, so so yeah, for my cloud, I'm just thinking, am I I think this is all common knowledge how this stuff is done. So this was for a previous uh, project with McLaren and the basically what it was, well all, all the race cars have some sort of telemetry going on. Right? I can't be too specific, but of some telemetry, where is the car, how fast is it going, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. And that telemetry is posted in some way, yeah, right? So it ends up in a Kafka, and that is where that where the data is coming from, right? So there would be yeah. state, yes, yeah. yeah, so, so all the events, and there were something like a thousand hearts, so a thousand updates per second where the car is, um, that would end up in Kafka and then there were sort of other layers that would read from the Kafka and offer the information via to a web socket. Yeah, via okay. a web socket and that's that's where my client code comes in to subscribe to the web socket and then visualize where the car is. 
Yeah, it's may maybe interesting, right? Because they're, they're, it's very nicely visible that this reactive behavior, let's say, is mm -hmm. not just on the client side, right? So meaning what you actually have is you, you have your data store, which supports this uh, reactive, uh, let's say, no, not programming, but the pattern, let's say, right? So the, yeah. the data store supports to be observed for changes, right? Or, yes. And then in the, in the next step, uh, you might have a middleware tier or something like that which actually consumes those changes transforms them into some them into something which is then via web sockets or return to an application right to a front-end application or whatever and this application then maybe also has some reactive behavior by by seeing this as the uh, as the trigger and or the event right uh, by then reacting to it right it's it's actually quite a, so it's more more kind of uh, event chain or on, yeah. on several tiers if you want to right <laughs> instead of just on the web application level right it's it's interesting yeah so the car moves and that triggers an event chain all the way to the browser it's quite exactly. cool to imagine that. exactly which is actually how how it should be from my point of view right so it should be the yeah, case that uh, if you use reactive programming then um you, you should do it from from the bottom up to the top, right? Uh, what I have seen uh, multiple times uh, was that people kind of fall in love with reactive programming by accessing the data from a, from a data store, right? Uh, so one of my former employers, for instance, they also had a reactive library integration with their client library, so Couchbase. Uh, and yeah, so, so people tended to use this, right? But then, at some point, they they kind of stopped right using it. I'm not sure why, but uh, uh, so they they basically consumed it in order to build their own services. And there was a benefit using it, right? There was a benefit mm -hmm. using reactive programming at this point in order to get rid of uh, additional network latency, right? Uh, so you could also have just massively scaled out some of the application servers by solving it uh, more more this way. But uh, the the fact that you don't block too often, right, within a single client instance or had a performance benefit, let's say. And uh, then at the very end, I have seen multiple times or very often, let's say, right, that people kind of synchronize it then on the service tier. So meaning they built a RESTful service and this RESTful service was basically indeed leveraging the benefits of, uh, of not being blocking, too much blocking inside, but mm. to the outside world, it behaved blocking again, right? Uh, whereby Strange. what you just described is how, uh, I mean, it depends on the use case, but how, how you would actually have it entirely reactive by by using web sockets then and make it also reactive to the application, right? So the application consumes consumes and also events and doesn't doesn't request changes explicitly yeah. by doing a REST call, right? Yeah, exactly. And and you don't, this isn't limited to race calls, right? You can do things like, you know, when when your data changes, you can subscribe to data changes. You know, if, 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 if somebody changes your customer record, right, that could immediately, that, that update could immediately be pushed down to all the other uh, clients that have that customer record open and refresh it, right? Yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. Interesting, yeah. Or, but again, I, I think most of the people out there are maybe I'm wrong, right? So if you think I'm wrong, then just send us a message, <laughs> right? Uh, You're wrong. So grumpy minus old coders org. There you will find the contact details. But um, I, I think a lot of people actually don't leverage it fully, right? So maybe yeah. it's a little bit siloed. People tend to use it either on the client side by using Angular and uh, by being aware that uh, there is reactive stuff inside it right uh, for refreshing the, the ui and so on right uh, and uh, other people might use it on the middleware tier or when accessing databases right um, and I, I can imagine that sometimes hard to fit it together right so the, the scenario which we just described right so this this race car or any any other iot use case for instance or any mm -hmm. other uh, use case where you have continuous data change to which you need to react right so uh, at scale could actually benefit from from an architecture which is entirely reactive right so from the beginning with the database right up to the middleware or where you kind of do transformations and so on up to the uh, or up to the the actual web application and uh, 
uh, UI, right? So the uh, yeah, presentation mm -hmm. layer, let's say. Entire stack is reactive, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. That's perfect, that's how it should be. Um, right, so just going, uh, what else is there to talk about? So I've already talked about um, the time travel business. Did I? I think I talked about this. Did, did we already explain in our, the, our, some of the operations in detail? So maybe what our, what something like map is or flat map? Oh, sure. Or, or maybe this is interesting as well. I mean, it's uh, it's more uh, kind of related to the reactive extensions. Uh, and there was something I wanted to say regarding the reactive extensions because our, you, you mentioned that our, our, our RxJS uh, however it's called, mm -hmm. right, is, yeah. is looking a little bit like RxJava. <laughs> this is not uh, <laughs> by accident. I, I think no. the, the idea, or let's say there, there is this framework of the reactive extensions. So Reactivex.io. Uh, and the, the concepts are always the same. So if you basically yeah. go to the reactive extensions or website, then uh, they explain all the concepts or are kind of, uh, unrelated to programming languages, right? They show you what, how a flat map works, how a map works, whatever, right? What a delay is. I, I mean, you can explain some of them now. Uh, and yeah. uh, then it branches out to different languages, right? So there is an implementation of this kind of concept for or paradigm, let's say it's a paradigm, right? Reactive programming. Uh, it's an implementation for JavaScript, one for Java, yeah, exactly. one for .NET, and so on. But the umbrella is all the, this react, reactive extension stuff, right? Yeah, and it's it's not just yeah, it's it's not just the concept the same. The the operators are exactly the same. They have the same name, and there's there's almost sort of one documentation. So there's the concept documentation that describes you how an operator works, and then there might be um, documentation for the for the JavaScript implementation and for the Java implementation and there's even a C sharp implementation, right? So the name's the same and maybe the implementation is has slight nuances depending on what the programming language is. Yeah, so 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 one of them might be simply one of these operators just to get an get an idea of what what these operators are. As you've you've mentioned map, right? And the map operator is simply the input is a piece of data, an event, and the return is also data, right? So, so the point of a map operator is to to change the event in some way. Yeah, maybe you want to remove a field from an event. Maybe you want to add a field, or maybe you want to, you know, transform the data of the event in in any way you like. Then you just stick a map operator into your stream handler. And just code out what you want to happen or that. So that's what map is. Data comes in, data comes out. There is filter. But filter, you can say, well, actually, of all the events in the stream, I'm only interested in certain ones. I'm only interested in, you know, ones where the name starts with, 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 with David, <laughs> right? Things like that. And then all the other events are filtered out, right? So, so you get an idea of how composable this is. Another good one is switch map where you can say, whenever data comes in, whenever an event comes in, what I want to return is a new observable, right? I want to switch to another observable, right? So where's that useful? You could imagine that you, you get an event, but that event triggers you to, to do another API call, right? And that's where you would use switch map. Right, you need more data. You do another API call, and then the next operator in the chain, well, yeah, ha has to wait for that API call, right? Or or just or gets the data from the result of that API call, I should say. So there's not not much waiting going on. Yeah. So the buffer one is not a good one. I've already uh, described it. You can say, wait for three minutes, and then give me all the events that have uh, three minutes, three seconds rather. Well, you can wait three minutes. Right, and then all the events give me that in an array, and then I process it in some way. Right. Yeah. And I think what's also quite often used is, uh, is let's say, flat map. Flat right? map. Or, so mm -hmm. let me explain the difference slightly, <laughs> or let me yeah. try to explain the difference. So when you have map, right, or you have an, a stream of items, or let's say, are your observable, right? And or let's say if you would like to do a transformation of those items, then map is taking 
each such an item and maps it to a new kind of item, right? Uh, I think the mm -hmm. documentation is typically using our circles and triangles, yes. or whatever, right? Model so let's diagrams. say you, you have a circle coming in and you would like to transform this circle into a triangle by using a function, right? Then what happens is or that uh, it's a one-to-one -one mapping, right? So basically mm -hmm. one circle is mapped to, to one triangle, right? Uh, whereby yeah. our flat map is used when you when you basically have one item or and you would like to emit a stream of items as yeah. part of the transformation result, right? So meaning uh, you get a circle and you would like to have five triangles out of the circle yeah, yeah. emitted or whatever, right? And now what you get is you get uh, streams of streams, right? Uh, meaning based on one stream of items, you would get multiple streams of items. And now it's a bit unhandy to consume those multiple streams. Which, so meaning what you do is you, you flat them down into one stream again, right? Uh, this is the reason why flat map, right? So meaning your, your three triangles per circle are getting basically are emitted into one observable again, together with other our three or triangles of other circles, let's say, right? And so you have a, a stream of items again, based on those resulting streams yeah. that are basically flattened into one. Right? So that's, uh, uh, yeah, how I remember that it worked. Right? It's, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain this without a, without a whiteboard, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you if you want their, I think ReactiveX or .io or yeah. something like this, or is explaining all the uh, functions, right? Um, but uh, I hope at least that I explained it uh, well enough, right? So I mean, yeah. you have a stream of items, each item for itself, or uh, you you need to map, but instead of map it one to one, so this item to another item, right? Uh, or mm -hmm. in a in a stream, you basically map it to a stream itself of items, yeah. right? And uh, what you need to do is then, in order to consume this, you need to kind of flatten it down to one stream again for all mm -hmm. the items that are emitted, right? Uh, a good example would be uh, something like uh, retrieving multiple items from a database. So if you have a reactive client library and uh, you're doing something like, hey, are a multi-get operation, for instance, right? So an mget are for a sequence of keys, right? And then in the in the flat map step, uh, you would like to to kind of uh, fetch additional data uh, from the database based on such a key, right? Or based mm -hmm. on a property or. Uh, which is in the result, right? So meaning what you do is you do an mget, uh, you get uh, a stream of items. Uh, for each item, you, you look into it, right? And there is maybe a reference to n other items, right? And then you do an mget for the n other items and this final result, right? So or this one-to-many relationship, if you want so, right? Results in a new stream of all the many items, right? Uh, uh, flattened in one stream. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope this explains. Yeah, <laughs> kind uh, of. Another another good one that I end up using a lot is this family of debounce operators, right? So imagine, so they are used. Um, okay, so imagine you have an input field, right? And you need to verify that you know. Let, let's say you enter a name, and that name must be unique, right? So. Whenever user enters someone, you, you need to go to the backend and the backend needs to check that is a unique name in the database, right? So imagine that scenario. And you want to be, you know, have a super slick UI and you want to check that whenever the user types, right? But if the user types very quickly and, and then hits the backspace button and types some more and does a lot of things, you end up with many, many API calls. Right. And to fix this quite easily, you can use these debounce operators that say, okay, I'll, I'll let an event through and then for, you know, whatever, 100 milliseconds, 200 milliseconds, what, whatever you configure, right, the operator just holds its ears and goes la 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 and ignores all the other events, right? And this is an, a very easy way where you can take load away from your backend to just say, okay, I'll, I, I, I won't you know, I, I won't put 20 requests to the API to check the uniqueness. I'm going to um, have a maximum of one request every 200 milliseconds to the API. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So, so debounce kind of is a very good limiting, one. Rate limiting. Yeah, rate so. limiting. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Should Sounds we, good. Should we talk about uh, testing? Yeah. Or, or did you uh, want I mean, to do something before? Actually, maybe first uh, or about uh, debugging, right? Um, I think yeah, go are, for it. So meaning uh, complaint, with I, which I heard often, and uh, actually I'm going to learn something here, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, is because I, I, I had to agree, I have to say, right? Um, I mean, testing might, might still kind of work, right? Uh, depending on which type of test you're doing. But... Uh, Let's say, because in, in a sense, right, or anticipating testing, if you have uh, an observable, you kind of define your transformation mm -hmm. of your data and then finally you subscribe. So you what you could do is you could test, uh, let's say, if the, ex the result is expected, right? So you could see the observable sure. by itself as a, as a kind of black box. But let's talk about, uh, uh, let's say, testing in a, in a second, uh, the... Uh, um, the yeah. the question in the first step is uh, how to debug this stuff because actually this is not that trivial. So I oh, tried to debug that. some Rx Java in the past. There are some worker threats are doing stuff behind the scenes. I mean, multi-threaded uh, stuff is anyway a bit harder to debug, right? But uh, if your logic is all kind of or uh, within. To be honest, I would kind of avoid having business logic in in those lambdas, which you pass over to to yes. <laughs> it's it's yeah, more yeah, for yeah. transformation of data, which are <laughs> uh, kind of retrieve from from a database or backend, or from my point of view, right? But uh, uh, let's say. Uh, let's assume you would like to dig deeper in what's actually happening within the observable and uh, it's all a chain of our uh, lambda expressions <laughs> let's say right yeah uh, and uh, so i can imagine and uh, agree that it's harder to debug right than than doing it, doing it explicitly are in, in codes are but I think you have some ideas how to, to yeah. address this. Right? I, I see where you're coming from. And if you're just throwing observables about, then that is true. But I want you to imagine this this use case where you have that central repository of state in your client app. Right? So in Angular it's there's a package NGRX store, right? That that stores all your state. Uh, React has a thing called MobX that does a similar thing. And if you do this, if, if you code very strictly and all your state is in that store and every mutation of that state sort of, well, well is that, is an event-based mutation, then there are tools. So there are plugins to the browser. There are also dev tools, reactive dev tools. And you just run your application and those dev tools keep a look, right? So they show you the state of your store, the current state of your state store. And then they show you the mutations. They can show you a diff if they go from one state to the next state, right? Your mutations, depending on how you code it, your mutations can have a, a name, a type, right? So, so a typical mutation, if you have a list of users, if you're showing a table of users, right? You will, in your state would contain a list of users, imagine that. And one mutation would be add a user to that list, right? So you see in, in these dev tools, so you see the state at this point in time was 10 users, and then the mutation add user occurred, and now you have 11 users in the state. Interesting. Right. I, I mean, I, I see this, right? I can see how this is uh, really useful for client applications and so on, and maybe on the server side or, or let's say... You on the server side, yeah, exactly. You don't have like, exactly browser plugins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could maintain this uh, this state, uh, let's say, on the browser side as well, but there uh, I, there's something which jumps into my mind which is against it, right? I mean, all the asynchronous operation execution yeah. are kind of is about uh, performance, right? Doing it asynchronously, or leveraging background threats and so on, right? So I, yeah. I personally think adding something like synchronized variables, uh, which would be needed in in case of or such a state, right? In in order to kind mm. of uh, yeah avoid that it's uh, corrupted, right? Can, could add a bottleneck by itself, right? Because our, our, it's then acting like a lock, as you say, right? And our multiple multiple worker threads would then compete uh, for the resource yeah. of this uh, state store or however you call it, right? And uh, would then basically uh, end up in 
in, in yeah, let's say yeah. lock weights <laughs> situations, which kind of impacts the performance in a negative way and yeah. partially contradicts the purpose of doing this or this asynchronous programming stuff, right? I, I, I get what you're saying, but, you know, this is a debugging scenario. So performance is, is not really a concern. Yeah, so basically, argue. maybe you could turn it on for debugging purposes. Exactly. Or, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get you. So basically, your proposal is to turn it on for debugging purposes and or, yeah, exactly. or if not really necessary, um, turn it off. I, I thought you meant that the application then actually heavily relies on this state uh, as well, which is kind of for uh, maintained. No, no, no. But yeah, well, I yeah. get your point. No, no I mean, the application does rely on that state. But these dev tools, right? So the dev tools are a plugin you install in the browser. Okay, and, so only um, the dev tools makes sense. And, yeah, yeah and, and the application has to support them. So there has to be a specific dev build that has these dev tools support, this browser yeah. plugin support yeah. compiled in. You know, a production app wouldn't have that. But but yeah, there would still make, be that sense. central makes state store because that is the pattern. Yeah, make, makes, total, makes totally sense, right? I, I mean, or, now I get it, or yeah. Uh, I think that my argument is uh, is not, let's say, valid in this case because it's only for debugging, debugging yeah. uh, and development purposes. But let's say the the statement which I did before that uh, our debugging such stuff can be hard, right? Because it's not just the yeah. state you're debugging; it's also the logic eventually which you're debugging, which leads to the state, right? Uh, so True. meaning to have this state store makes kind of uh, totally sense uh, to to me, right? But the fact that you need to have it in addition right um, so uh, in addition to your usual application state let's say right <laughs> which you can always access by not doing our uh, let's say reactive uh, stuff right uh, means that uh, the debugging is clearly a little bit more complex than our, yeah our, let's say for synchronous uh, applications synchronously behaving applications possibly yeah i can i can concede to that yeah okay cool um so then our I mean, something we already touched is our testing, right? So, so yeah. meaning, um, yeah, again, yeah. testing, I think what you could agree to is, okay, fine, or because we, we say that the observer becomes hot, hot as soon as we subscribe, we could or kind of test the logic or, or which is included within the observer, even if it is chained and so on, right? By, by uh, testing the result of the subscription, right? So meaning the result of mm -hmm. the, the transformation chain, right? Um, but uh, again, um, how would you test something which is within it, yeah. right? So, I mean, um, <laughs> black box versus white box a bit, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, what you say is true. You could construct your observables as called observables, subscribe to them, and then see if your subscribe function is called as you want it called, right? The if the result is the expected one, right? If the result so is the expected one. For, for a bunch of inputs. Yeah. I mean, the reality is you will never actually anyway uh, cover yeah, everything, yeah. right? So That's you will right. be able to yeah, yeah. Uh, have an infinite amount of inputs and verify if your if your function, let's say, yeah. and here in this case, it's it's also a function, let's say, right? Uh, yeah, no, um, of course. You, you have to, yeah, you have to carve out your use cases if you do unit yeah. testing, of course. But there is, of course, more to this. Imagine if you have, um, if, if you want to show a pop-up for three seconds and that then closes, right? And you do that with Absolvent. How do you test that? You, you could have a unit test that physically sits there and waits for three seconds. Ooh, but that's, that's not how you unit test. That's not how you do this. Yeah. So that's why the unit testing on the client side supports these marble diagram stuff. You can define... Um, you can define your input, right? You can define these are the events firing and you can define timings. You can say this event happens after the first second, this event happens after the fifth second, right? And then you can define a marble diagram for your outcome. You can say, okay, I expect this to happen after the third second and so on. And then what this observable testing framework gives you is a simulated clock, right? You don't actually have to sit there for five seconds. It sort of artificially turns the clock forward for this unit test. Mm -hmm. right? So that's how you approach this. This is this marble diagram plugin ah. that you have for unit testing. As you can see, right, I'm maybe less a front end guy or <laughs> more. 
uh, let's say, or backend. Uh, but it's actually interesting that uh, how, how you do this stuff. I I think what I did in the past, which was front-end testing, was just using Selenium, right? Uh, so was, sure. Yeah, Selen- Selenium yeah, for, that. for basically just... If, Going, th- uh, yeah, clicking buttons, <laughs> verifying <laughs> if the expected result is the is is the one and so on. But uh, I think timing there is actually remembering a bit. Timing could be a little bit tricky, right? Um, yeah, it's because yeah. Our, our, it's not cons- consistently. I mean, especially in the old times where you kind of had a lot, lot of back and forth between the application and the server. I think uh, what you are referring is uh, again more like a single page application architecture oh, yeah. uh, where everything happens in the one side of the client and so the timing is kind of uh, a little bit more consistent let's say right um but uh yeah anyway uh, sounds interesting cool yeah so we yeah so we, we already have we've already touched on a lot of things um did you want to speak about sort of the backend story of reactive oh, we, we did already a bit right we did already we something we? like kafka and so on i i mean our uh if it comes to the question if this is just a web thing then or as mentioned before i don't think so right um there are multiple use cases where you can actually leverage reactive programming whereby our yeah if it comes to data it would be a good idea if the data store supports stuff like this natively indeed you can always write your own services for changes in your database and so on but it's not as fun (laughs) let's say right (laughs) Uh, there are uh, data stores um let's say counting something like kafka maybe as a as a data store in this sense as well right whereby there's still a difference between a database and uh yeah or let's say a message or queue or let's say anyway so so meaning for instance redis has multiple ways to do it or so in redis you you have your let's say persistent data or uh, so the the actual view of your data are sitting in in yeah data structures like hashes strings whatever right but uh, in addition you can also implement stuff like event stores right I, I think event store is a good subject here um, it pops mm-hmm. just in my mind because there are, there are different uh, let's say approaches to store data so there is this uh, there's this idea to replace data as you would do in a relation database system right so whenever you kind of are yeah update a row you kind of replace the uh the column values with the new values or in redis you would kind of set properties and hashes and document database properties and json documents or whatever right whereby redis also has json support but that's all but anyway it's not about Redis. The point is, or uh, uh, you can have data stores that are more doing in place updates, and or you could use something more like an event store, right? Mm-hmm. An event store basically are kind of as part of changing events or uh, protocols the delta, <laughs> let's say, right? I see. Uh, okay. So so meaning are uh, puzzling. It, it's super for write uh, efficiency and so on, right? Because you just need to write the delta to your event store. But the problem is a little bit uh, if you want to read again from it, you yeah, exactly. might need you have to, to puzzle deconstruct it, together, right? it all. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's 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 you can re- reconstruct it, but it's it's hard. So which means typically you would combine it, right? You would combine something which is more uh, a, a, a view which is more materialized, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. With our with the events in the event store, right? And uh, uh, which gives you gives you kind of a way to read the data efficiently and write the data maybe efficiently as well. Uh, there are multiple use cases, right? You don't need to do it like this. Depends on what you're doing. Anyway, um, the, thinking about those two uh, ideas or patterns or however you call it, right? Um, one thing is that Redis supports both very well, right? So you can basically have your data structures directly stored in Redis. Whatever you want to do, you can consume the stuff reactively if you want. <coughs> Sorry. But at the same time, our, we have features like PubSub, so Publish Subscribe, that are playing very well with something like reactive programming. Uh, it's Fire Forget. You basically uh, have a channel, and uh, within this channel, you publish our messages, let's say, right? And then you have uh, a bunch of... Uh, uh, subscribers that are reacting into those uh, messages, right? 
So meaning mm-hmm. uh, showing them on the UI or whatever. Uh, I have to say it's fire and forget, right? So PubSub is fire and forget, but uh, it's useful in order to be used on the data store side, let's say in order to react to changes. Uh, It's even something you can leverage for key space notifications in Redis. So whenever something changes within your key space, uh, you're basically uh, getting getting a notification and then you can uh, react to this. Okay, so it's more event based. It's not it's not a message queue. It's it's more event based. Exactly, but fire and forget. Are, so yeah. Now, um, the the other thing is uh, what we have in Redis is uh, our streams. Or I mean, streams are can also be used for for exactly this. So for message delivery, let's say, right? Um, but they can used or can be used for message processing as well. So meaning, uh, you can consume continuously a little bit like with pops up or but you can also kind of or or later then consume from a specific point in time it's actually not strictly time it's more logical time so it's maybe our meaning you could have own ids it's just relevant that they are increasing i think by default it's actually using something like a timestamp but or this doesn't matter too much the point mm. is you you have a, a unique id from which you can start streaming again right so uh, talking about the replay stuff uh, in a sense right so you could replay stuff uh for instance if you if the client died right uh, and didn't yeah. get the messages it, it can kind of uh, say hey i died at this point of time let's go back and fetch everything uh, let's go back and fetch everything since, since this time, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In addition, or uh, in addition, we we have also the possibility uh, to group consumers to make sure that uh, messages are kind of distributed amongst them, right? So, or uh, one consumer of a group or. Uh, uh, doesn't consume the same messages as uh, as another consumer. Consumers can acknowledge the 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 processing of a message and so on. And this can be used for, let's say, more message processing. So balancing workload, for instance, across multiple workloads and stuff like this, right? Hmm. Uh, as you can see. But uh, yeah. So long story short, it's really cool if you're if you data store already. As mentioned at the beginning, right? So having having this reactive behavior all the way up, let's say, or all the way down, depending on from where you're looking, right? If your data store is already supporting or to to kind of react to database changes, this is really cool, and you can kind of extend this step by step, tier by tier, up to the application, right? So yeah, it's not just a web thing, right? The web thing is just one layer where you kind of leverage reactive uh, programming, mm. but it are uh, kind of, if you want so, it already starts from a, as a, as a paradigm uh, within your data store, right? And Redis is one example of a data store, which is really nicely suited for, for stuff like that, right? Yeah, perfect. Oh. Perfect, perfect. Let, let me think, is there anything else we can cover? I mean, we talked about OxJS, so on the client side. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the question, is it just a web thing? Yeah, but, it, but it, it's not just a web thing, but but it is also a web thing, right? So it's it's very big in the JavaScript world. There are many frameworks are built on, so Angular has OxJS built in. So in Angular, if you want to do an API call, then the built-in HTTP module that you have in Angular is RxJS based. You know, if you don't like that, well, you know, you have to do some work to use promises instead. But to be fair, why would you? You know, observables are better anyway. And there's a very nice framework which is becoming more and more popular on the back end. So here we go with JS on the back end. So this is on top of ExpressJS. There's a framework called NestJS, which is written in TypeScript. So it's Express plus TypeScript plus RxJS. And it uses observables on the backend. So, you know, it's it's only growing. Yeah. Cool. Makes sense here. Our sounds good. I, I think this that's it, right? I mean we, we talk yeah. about a lot and our, as usual, right? If you have feedback, so to our listeners. Then just let us know, right? Just send us a message, or yeah, 
visit our website crumpy-coders.org or leave a message contact us via Twitter or whatever, right? So we are are quite open regarding this. And uh, in this sense, uh, yeah, thank you for listening to this episode and uh, yeah, see you in double quotes (laughs) the next time. Thank you. See you. Bye. there thomas yes yeah yeah <laughs> bit of a silence um yeah no absolutely you need to cut this out then right